Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of the Views on View podcast. This is our inaugural episode. Strangely enough, we're actually recording this second. We pre-recorded our second episode, but this will be the first episode that we release. I am your host, Joe Eames, and on our panel, we have today we have Cher Stewart. Hi. And our special guest today is Evan Yu. Hi there. We have a few panelists that are missing today due to some scheduling conflicts, but uh, we, we will miss them and we will see them back in future weeks. Before we... Uh, get started. I, I, don't, I doubt that too many people listening to this podcast are not going to know who you are, Evan, but I think it might be nice to just sort of get a background on you before you did View, uh, maybe mm-hmm. talk about your history before View so that people uh, and hopefully mm-hmm. listeners that do follow View might learn something they don't know before. Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, right, let's, we, we can go like way back. So I was born in China and uh, then I went to U.S. for college. Uh, I studied art and art history in undergrad. Didn't really like figure out how to get a job in that field. So uh, I went to a uh, master's program for design and technology at Parsons. And that's when I seriously started doing um, JavaScript. And, uh, and then I uh, w- worked at uh, Google Creative Lab for a bit over two years. Uh, that's when I had to do a few projects using Angular, and that's also when um, View was started. Yeah, so after Google, I worked uh, another close to two years at a startup called Meteor. Um, it's also a JavaScript framework. And uh, during that period of time, I also kept working on View. Uh, and eventually, View grew so much, I decided to just do it full time. So but yeah, that's pretty much the story. Okay, so let's uh, let's dig in just a few of these things. They popped out at me. So you worked at Google, and you said you were working at their their lab, their research labs. Uh, Google Creative Lab. Google Creative Lab. So can you explain yeah. a little bit about what that is and what your role there was? Yeah. So um, so a lot of people probably heard of Google Lab, but Google Lab is a totally different entity versus Google Creative Lab. Creative Lab is more like a half um, half agency, half creative agency, half uh, UX research or uh, prototyping team. So um, we sort of work with internal Google Teams. So um, we take them on as our clients and we have, uh, and, and, the, and the Creative Lab is consists of a group of, a mix of creative technologists, that's me, uh, and uh, like filmmakers, uh, creative directors, copywriters, product managers. Um, so all kinds of different people from different disciplines all kind of work together. They, they form team teams from time to time and work on different projects. So we collaborate with internal Google products and help them sort of come up with crazy ideas on how their product could be evolving next and like uh, what a thing could be like in five to ten years or um, – how just um, how we can improve the UX uh, using some novel techniques or just like in general, just exploring new ideas. Uh, so that was a really fun environment working. And my role there was called creative technologist, which uh, involves building a lot of prototypes. So um, we'd come up with some uh, crazy ideas and then we want to have something tangible uh, 
to so so that people can actually interact with it and feel like what the end result would be like. So uh, a lot of times it's like we we would build these like mm, prototypes with mocked data sets. So we don't really because like the the real product obviously would need like a really huge data set and backend to, to support it. But like in our like prototyping phase, we just like pretend we have all, all the backend technologies figured out and then figure out what the, the end user experience would be like. And my job was pretty much like building a lot of prototypes for that front end using web technologies. That's, that's interesting. I had no idea that whole thing even existed. Like, yeah, so the, uh, because the, the, the projects that we worked on are, are confidential, right? Like most of the stuff I can't even talk about, although we worked on quite a bit of like, you know, projects there. Um, the only few things that eventually, so, so the, the thing is a lot of the projects are confidential, a lot of them remain internal. So they circulate internally at Google, but uh, um, eventually they don't, they don't necessarily turn into real products. A lot of time it's like one of the, one or two of the shining ideas from a prototype would then get absorbed into a real product. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the, the type of frustration come from because uh, you keep working on that thing uh, for a very long time, but eventually um, you don't get to really talk about it. <laughs> like, so I can only say like we worked on crazy ideas, but I can't really right. say what it is. Right. Gotcha. Hmm, cool. And then uh, you said that you worked at a startup. You called it, I didn't quite catch the name, Meteor. Yes, Meteor. That's the, oh. the, the full stack JavaScript <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I guess it was yeah. a little bit of lag. I'd, I didn't quite hear the pronunciation. Yeah. Didn't hear that correctly. Gotcha. You worked on Meteor. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that you worked on that as well. So um, you're working on Meteor, and you had said that Vue kind of had started up a little bit before you went and worked on Meteor, right? Yes. And so you're you were working on Vue. You went and go. You went to go work on Meteor, and then. And it was a, roughly at that time that Vue just really started taking off, and you decided to go off and focus on that. Uh, well, it, so for for Vue to take off, like I think it's kind of weird because people often ask me, like, when did Vue like started to to blow up? And for me, it's really not like an overnight thing. It just uh, there's several stages of growth, and every time it's like, oh, it's more popular than before, but if you compare it with today, uh, like when I got like 3,000 stars on GitHub, I was like, holy crap, this is like the hottest project right now. But like compared to today, 3,000 stars is like nothing, right? Back then, uh, you know, the, the metrics were just different because back then you, I was comparing you to other, you know, new and upcoming experimental projects. And today people compare it with Angular and React. So that's like on totally different scales. Uh, so when I joined Meteor, Vue was Vue was like decently known, but like it's nowhere near where it is today. Mm-hmm. So people wouldn't even consider it something that. Uh, so so, but back then Meteor was already like super super well known, super popular. It's like one of the highest starred highest starred project on GitHub, and uh, you know it's it got huge venture backing. So it's like when people think about comparing Vue and Meteor back then, it's like not on the same scale. Right. Okay. So I think we've got a, a, a pretty decent little picture here. Let's talk about the actual history of Vue in its, itself and how it started, the, the original idea and the early versions mm-hmm. and what happened there. And like, let's, let's just start with that. Just the creation, the original initial inception and creation. And tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so, as I said, I was working on the, all these prototypes, and we uh, in a field of those projects, uh, we were using Angular, Angular One, that's Angular JS, mm-hmm. uh, to be precise. And um, so there were parts of it that I really liked. I liked the, you know, the declarativeness uh, because uh, before that, uh, quite a few projects we just like hand wrote everything in vanilla JavaScript, and we had to had to do all these uh, manual DOM manipulation, which can be uh, you know quite painful. When, when the project grows and the complexity of making sure everything state and DOM syncs correctly, it's just paying. If you've done that, you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. when we started using Angular for that part, that feel right, right? Like you have templates, declarative templates. You just like tell the framework what you want. And um, when you change things, the, the right rendering happens. So 
Uh, that's what I like. But uh, at the same time, there was a lot of uh, things that I just we didn't really need for for the type of prototypes we were building, like you know dependency ejection, all the ser- differences between provider services, and all the all those concepts. You need to sort of grok before you can actually become productive with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt like you know what if there is just this thing that just extracts the the templating part out of Angular and, and because I just don't need all the other stuff. So so that's when I started to say, like, maybe I can just build a very minimal version of it because that's all I really want. Um, so I started doing an experiment. Um, it wasn't even called Vue when it, when it started. I just, like, tried to uh, mimic the, um, the reactive templating that Angular had. Um, although the, the implementation was quite different from the, from the get-go because I looked into the source code of Angular and noticed it was using dirty checking. And, mm-hmm. and I felt uh, I didn't really like that approach. And, um, and it's also tricky to, you know, like, eventually there was Angular 1 projects. A lot of them ran into performance problems. So, so that's why I thought um, I could maybe look at some alternative ideas of how to do this. And because I worked, we were doing prototypes, and it's only for Google, so everything only needed to work in Chrome. We didn't really need to care about, like, IE compatibility or anything. So um, I was like, okay, so ES5 has object-defined property. Uh, It doesn't work in IE8, but I don't really care. So I can just use that to build a reactivity system that relies on ES5 getters and setters, Mm -hmm. but, you know, behaves similar to what Angular would feel like. so that that's the initial idea, uh, and we did. I did a very simple, very simple prototype uh, of it. It wasn't even meant to be a real project. It's just sort of like a weekend hack. Uh, try to try to see if the idea would work. And it turns out it worked pretty well. So uh, so then I started uh, putting more time into it. But it wasn't uh, like a really planned thing. I just like gradually spend time on it over maybe several months and eventually it got to the place where I felt like it's something that I, I would actually, you know, be willing to share with people. Hmm. Interesting. So let's go to the, the whole dirty checking. So you saw that Angular was using dirty checking. Um, you were aware at the time of projects that were having performance problems and uh, you had like, the idea that dirty checking is is a problem is a problem and causes performance problems is something that not just your ever every average your average everyday mm-hmm. developer, especially at that time, mm-hmm. is going to understand and realize. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little bit mm-hmm. of a deep concept. Had you had experience with uh, this sort of thing? What made you? What led you into saying, "Hey, dirty checking isn't the right way. I'm going to use another mechanism." Well, I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't necessarily saying dirty checking isn't the right way. I was. It was more like um, I, I could see the trade-offs, right? Like mm-hmm. in order to ensure correctness, dirty checking was like the most straightforward way to ensure correctness when you re-render. But it's also sort of a brute force way to ensure correctness. Right. So, um, right, and, and you know, it just felt boring if I just copied exactly the same algorithm that Angular used. So I felt like I want to try something different. And also the com- browser compatibility thing was another reason. So uh, it, it isn't necessarily saying dirty checking is bad. It surely has its you know drawbacks. But um, at that time, it, it was more about the, um, the idea of, you know, I could, I could take some different trade-offs in return for something that would fit my use case better. Um, and in the, in the long term, you know, because... When I look at the dirty checking code, there was literally like I don't know if the comment was still there. I was reading Angular's source code, and there was literally a line of comment saying, "Now we're going to like recursively dirty check all the nested scopes." Mm-hmm. It might sound crazy, but it works. <laughs> so <laughs> I was reading, I was reading that line. I was like, mm, "Maybe we can do something different." Uh huh. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So had you, you, you? This was. This is before you started working on Meteor. So what up right. to that point made you say, I want to build a whole framework? Right? Or what, what made well, you think I, that I, you could? Right. So uh, my work on Meteor wasn't like I, I didn't create Meteor. When right. I joined Meteor, it was already a venture-backed company with a whole team on it. Right, right. The framework's already there. I was only sort of 
you know, joining the team as an additional engineer to work on a small piece of it. Um, so because Meteor is is a full stack thing, the, the scope is just like way larger than what few was trying to do back then, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Vue at that moment was really, really just a tiny view layer framework. It's like maybe less than 10% of what, what a whole full-scale framework would include. Um, so Meteor had all these parts, you know, it had like databases, the whole package system, um, its own templating engine, its reactivity system, uh, the mini Mongo, the back-end back and front-end syncing. So it's a very complex system. So for me, joining Meteor was um, really sort of because it was a huge-scale JavaScript project, and it was open source, right? Uh, and as I said, when I was working at Google, I got sort of um, – it was really fun projects, but, you know, I over two years, we kind of worked on a lot of these things, but very few of them eventually, you know, I, I can't even share them. I can't talk about them. So – uh, I wanted to work on something that's, you know, more open, that's sort of public, open source JavaScript. So Meteor was one of those, you know, and it's also a company, a startup that could actually give me a job to work on it. So uh-huh. that's a very good opportunity, you know. Uh, so that's why I, I joined Meteor. Um, but it really, it's not like I, I'm, you know, the, for me, Vue was my project, but Meteor is different because I was only part of the team. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, but again, but going back to when you decided you wanted to start working on Vue, uh, mm-hmm. that's a pretty ambitious thing. You you hadn't been you hadn't ever uh, you hadn't been working on Meteor, so you didn't have that that kind of framework experience to start up and write your own framework. It's a, it's a fairly ambitious task. Not a lot of developers would say, hey, I feel like I could write my own framework, although it seems like every developer feels that way since <laughs> there's so many out there. But that's still yeah. definitely not the truth to be that ambitious and say, you know what, I'm going to write a framework. So what was it that gave you the confidence to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do this? Well, I think I didn't have that kind of ambition or the confidence in the beginning because, you know, I, it started as an experiment. Uh, I really didn't know if I would it would even work when I first started working on it. It only like it, it's over time I realized like oh this thing has potential maybe I can you know make it something bigger. Uh, so it grew from you know a, an experiment. It grew into a um, a side project. Then it grew into a side project that's really just the view part. And then it grew into, um, then I, we added the router, we added the state management pattern, we added a webpack loader, we added the CLI. Everything was added over time. Uh, and, and the scope of the project just grew gradually. It didn't, we didn't start in the beginning to say we want to build a whole ecosystem that competes with Angular. That was mm-hmm. not the goal. Uh, and, and we only like arrived at where we are today uh, due to... Due to first, because of, you know, the success of the earlier steps, and second, because the demand of, of the community, people who are already using the previous pieces demanded more, so, so that's why we added more. So it really is like a very organ- organic process instead of something that we, we decided from the beginning. So what, what do the initial versions look, of you look like, those first, before you even called it Vue? What, what did they look like? What did they do? So um, I don't know if you've written view code before, but Just the bit. simplest, right? So the simplest example, like the hello world of view, is you get a view global, right? And you just new view, create a view instance. You give it some data, you give it a template, and just finds a thing and renders it. Um, so that's really all it did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing it did. All you <laughs> had was this this view constructor that you can create an instance and do some data binding. Uh, so that, that was all there is, huh. uh, and everything else was added on later. What, what did you call it initially? I don't know that I caught uh, that. It was first called seed, seed, uh, because I wanted to use it as like the, the seed of a new project. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, I found out the name was already taken, uh, on either on, npm or on bowers so i had to just find a different name 
and because it's a view layer library, um, so I tried view already taken, and then uh, also sound kind of plain if you just use the English version. Mm -hmm. So I threw it into Google Translate and saw okay, the French translation is also looks like view, but it looks cooler and it's not taken on NPM. <laughs> so so that's why it was top view. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So. That's like the so there's the inception of view. So let's talk about uh, when it started when you started to see some popularity from it and and usage, like so you created it for your own internal use, but you you published it on <laughs> on GitHub and on through NPM. Uh, uh, did you do much in the way of promoting it at the time, or was like the initial popularity did it come completely as a surprise? People were discovering it on their own and uh, started playing around with it. I actually did some planned promotion. So, um, so when when I when the first commit of seed started, that was um, in I think late 2013, June or July 2013. Mm -hmm. But the 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 public release of the project called View was in February 2014. So that's quite a bit, uh, you know, over half a year. I was just like working on it on and off in my spare time. Uh, trying to like shape it up. Uh, I think I actually only decided to to make it a real project like in early 2014. I was like, this is looking pretty good now, so maybe I should um, just publish it. Then I already was, um, you know, putting a few projects on GitHub, but none of them really had the intention to, you know, say get more users. So most of them had, you know, terrible documentation, no versioning at all mm -hmm. uh, it was really just like it's not real like a pro open source project per se it's really just like throwing your code on github but for for this one i was like i really want to make this a real project so i had to you know have documentation i have to have a use samver i had to you know do releases i have to um have examples and all the things uh so I think I spent most of February, uh, the, the first month in 2014 just writing the documentation. Huh. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, so that was one of the, the, the thing that has, I have been, we've been kept very, um, you know, one thing that kind of defines viewing some way is like we really care about the documentation because we feel like if the project doesn't have a good documentation that allow people to, to understand what it does and, to, to be able to learn very quickly, then then your code <coughs> is creating much less value than it should be. So so documentation is like an amplifier for for the project itself. Right. So um. So after after doing finishing the documentation, I, I try to look around and see how we can how I could promote the project. Um, I actually wrote a blog post on it. Uh, you can still find it on my on my personal blog. Although I haven't <laughs> I haven't been writing anything like since two years ago, I think. Uh -huh. uh, but but the but the post essentially uh, covers the uh, the things I did. I posted on Hacker News, on Reddit, on um, on Daily JS. Uh, it's it was a blog back then. Uh, I think it's it's discontinued now. Uh, and um, Echo JS also, I think. So a few of these like aggregating like uh, hacker news like news sources that uh, people can upvote and um, it actually got voted up to the front page of Hacker News. So hmm. that's how it got its initial attention. Uh, it got I think a uh, hundred and thirty ish votes. Stayed on the front page for a few hours, uh, and uh, for the first week I got like several hundred GitHub stars. Well, that was already a, like a big you know big success uh, for me back then. Uh, I was. Several hundred stars is like the, the biggest number of stars I've ever gotten. Right. Uh, and that really like made me, and surprisingly, surprisingly for the initial Hacker News thread, all the feedback was really positive. Um, I think people were comparing to Knockout. Uh, they were comparing it to a, like a slimmed down version of Angular. And, and most, mostly because, you know, for a new project, and, and I, I think that was also the time when the, the explosion of JavaScript frameworks just started, people hadn't had the term JavaScript fatigue yet. People were still pretty tolerant about these new frameworks coming out. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, 
most of the feedback was pretty positive. So that was good because I felt like, oh, people actually like this. So I should, you know, feel more mo- motivated to keep working on it. Right. Um, yeah. So that's the how it got the initial uh, use base, I think. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so you said that uh, a few hundred stars was like a, a big deal to you back then. What is uh, the view project at now, stars wise, on GitHub? Uh, I think 84,000. Is that sort of a uh, redefine your definition of what is <laughs> popular? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I thought it was a big deal when we reached like 30,000 stars, but after that, I just stopped counting because mm-hmm. um, it just. Like then, I I think like it's it becomes less and less relevant as well because um, most people don't really don't really look at the stars of view to to say how pop how popular it is right. because after a certain stage you your project's no longer defined by how many stars you get right now it's defined because people have heard about it yeah um, all right so let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, popularity of view um, how it's mm-hmm. been for. You know, currently, right now, where it sort of sits at in popularity, um, I'm an educator. I keep an eye on the types of things that people are looking at and interested in, and I look at metrics and stuff. So I've seen a lot of very interesting things. One of the things that I think I've seen that is interesting about View is it's gained a lot of popularity outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Would you Would you agree with that? And if so, do you have some speculation yeah. as to why that is? Um, so I think that's outside of U.S. There's also like two markets. There's there's the um, I guess European and uh, maybe Japan could Japan is kind of its own market too. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and China obviously is like completely on its own. Right. Um, so view is popular in China, obviously because I have I I am also active in the Chinese developer community. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people new view through me and because i also uh interact with the chinese developers quite a bit so um and they also know like oh this framework is written by a chinese guy so uh i think it, it kind of explains why view is like i think it, the chinese market is where view has the biggest like market share in the world um but it's also quite popular in europe european areas i think Mm-hmm. Uh, because from the stats that we have, you know, we had the, the VJs Amsterdam last week, uh, and it was a blast. We had like people coming from over 51 countries, wow. uh, even outside of Europe. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. Um, so honestly, like, I don't know why in European countries, maybe it's because, um, I, I think it, it like, this is totally unfounded. Right, just just for the record, uh, this is just my speculation. But maybe it's because um, companies like Facebook and Google just have a much stronger mind share in U.S. Which and in U.S., the the tech trend is largely dominated by what's popular in Silicon Valley. Hmm. Uh, right. So because Facebook is using React, all the hot startups are using React. So uh, the 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 job market just kind of radiates from from there and then all the other companies in u.s sort of just follow what the hot startups in silicon valley is using uh that's just my speculation i i 100 agree that that is a a good speculation <laughs> well yeah that's interesting i don't think i've actually ever uh heard that idea before or, or thought through it myself but it does it does make a lot of sense that uh, silicon valley has a ton of sway inside the u.s and I certainly feel that as a person who lives far outside of Silicon Valley, uh, mm-hmm. and so I can imagine that uh, in other places the sway is felt quite a bit less. You know, especially when you get outside of the, of yep. the U.S. So you feel like the yep. population, the popularity of the Chinese market, has a direct correlation to you and your activity uh, there in the Chinese uh, community. Um, yes, there's definitely a definitely correlation, and it's also because. Um, the larger companies in China, they are more open to adopting view because um, I think in the especially in the early stages, because we had quite a few uh, also peop, uh, developers who are quite well known in the Chinese developer community. They were um, they they know they knew view quite early on, and they knew me personally, so we knew each other, and they were 
a few of them kind of uh, evangelized view inside their companies, and that kind of sort of helped view gain the you know the foothold in the beginning uh, in some of the bigger bigger companies in China and. And later on, because you know, it, it it's interesting because when you say that a certain big company is using a technology, then a lot of the other smaller companies are like, "Oh, they're using it. They're fine. So we should be okay with using this technology too." So right, it, right. yeah. Okay. So let's talk about U.S. popularity. We're we're definitely seeing an explosion of popularity of you inside of the U.S. I would say mm-hmm. it's one of the hottest uh, frameworks that people really are interested in learning. When that translates mm-hmm. into jobs, or at least at the time for the time being, it doesn't seem like uh, it's 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 popularity far outpaces its uh, current employment level here in the U.S. Yeah, would you say that that's true? I think that's true. Um, for a very long time, like I think there are there. If you compare the the current like job demanding job demands for view, uh, compare that with. With that of maybe half a year ago or one year ago, like one year ago, job opportunities that's specifically asking the the view in U.S. was like literally non-existent back then. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you just look at the growth rate, it's actually growing pretty well. It's just like the the the, the point where we started. We we literally had to start from zero because um, right. view is an independent project. Like for for job uh, for React and Face uh, and Angular, you know, Google is already using Angular. Facebook is already using React. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a much tougher tougher battle in term uh, when when it comes to you know convincing people that this is a, a technology that you can sort of bet your product on. Um, and over the several years, we I've been working on Vue. I've have to answer the same question countless times because uh, people just ask like Facebook is backing React and Angular is backing uh, Google is backing Angular. Nobody's backing you. Uh, why should we use your technology? And to that, we the only thing we can do is just like show them the code, show them that uh, you know other people have been using it to build things successfully, and show that we are committed to to making it maintaining it long term, and show them that we've been doing a pretty good job so far. Um, so that's a really an uphill battle because we didn't have the you know the big brand, uh, big brand name uh, effect behind us, um, and, and that kind of becomes even more of a problem in the job market because you know when when people try to actually hire for people for a specific talent technology, that means they've made the bet. They are like, we want we are basing our product, basing a part of our company's revenue on this specific t- technology. Right, so that's a much bigger bet, and people are much more serious about that when mm-hmm. they try to like, get on get on that train. It takes a lot of time to build that sort of you know track record and the confidence for for companies to be willing to actually bet on a technology and hire specific, specifically for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was harder for us, and but I think it's 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 kind of worked out, and we're you know finally picking up in the job market. And uh, there's also this, um, right, uh, I think at one time I was, um, there was this thing about the curve of, of job growth and the curve of interest. Uh, there is a, um, these curves are sort of like, there is an offset, there's a delay between these two curves. Um, because it's easier to say I, you're interested in a technology you're watching uh-huh. this technology, uh-huh. then say I'm actually now betting on this technology to to build my product on it, right? So for a lot of companies, they they have to be in the speculation phase uh, for quite a long time before they actually make the decision to actually hire for it. So I think eventually this growth in, in interest, in this growth in uh, developer popularity will eventually translate into growing jobs, but it's it's just a delayed. A curve that you have to sort of give the time for it to grow. Well, so um, I was on the job market during the summer. I left a particularly awful job in August. And um, prior to that, um, I had actually changed jobs because of a relocation. And so a year before that, you know, Vue was something that was on my resume and React wasn't. And I had such a hard time, you know, 
even having interviewee interviewers understand like what view was and they were just concerned that I didn't know react at that time. <laughs> but then during the past summer, um, I actually had a contract job based on the fact that I knew view. So it made me an attractive candidate. Um, it was a startup company, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know, that just goes to show like the difference, the time between a year where interviewers don't even know what view is versus interviews being excited that you are well-versed in that technology. Definitely. You know, I think there's another um, interesting phenomenon that goes on in the tech industry for certain, and I'm sure it happens in other industries. So like the language Java was invented by Sun simply because Sun's marketers realized that it was actually the developers that determined what hardware the comp- that their companies would buy. They were the ones who really had the most influence. So they decided that they could corner the market or try to get better market share by creating a language for developers, a software that developers would really want to use. So they were, going, they were actually targeting the developers to get them mm-hmm. to then say, well, I like Java. It's cool. And so we need to buy the Sun hardware. That was the whole point of Java. We, uh, that still exists today where uh, in a lot of, in a long, strange way, but in a lot of uh, companies and uh, to mm-hmm. one degree or another, the developers are sort of the tail that wags the dog. They sort of they make those calls a lot more as to what technology should be used. And it, it, rightly so. It's, th- these are complex choices as to what is the right framework to use, what technology stacks yep. to use. You don't want to put that sort of decision in the hands of somebody so high up the ladder they don't have a concept as to what they're asking. So we're also, I think we'll definitely see a big shift as people who are showing interest now gain more and more political sway or start new projects and get the opportunities Mm -hmm. to say, let's do this in view. And then all of a sudden you got a tiny Mm -hmm. project started in view. Now it's a big project and you're hiring and you're looking for view developers. And I think we'll see that trend here over the next while. That's a good point. All right. So. Boy, we really spent a lot of time on popularity. We got a few more things I want to get to, but we're uh, already gonna we're bumping up against our time. So let's talk about the team, mm-hmm. uh, the view team. If you can like rattle off for us some you know some interesting information about the the team. It's helping you out now with uh, view, mm-hmm. and so we can get a people can get an idea about that. Sure. So, um, so first of all, the, the view team is really uh, a loose concept because um, although we do have um, people in the Vue.js organization, we have a Slack, uh, there's really like no, say, official application process or anything. Most of them just became part of the team because they just started contributing on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw some things that they felt that could be improved or fixed, and they just stepped up and did it. And uh, then they did it several times, and I, you know, I noticed it. I'm like, wow, this guy's doing amazing work. So I, I would reach out to them and invite them to the team. So that's most of the, how the um, the team is formed. And uh, so recently, we've had some pretty exciting things uh, in the past few months. Uh, we had um, uh, ESLink plugin view, uh, which is um, the ESLink plugin that is able to to parse your view templates and find syntax errors in your view templates in addition to your JavaScript. Um, so that requires a completely customly, custom written parser for ESLint. And that was just done by uh, volunteers. Um, Taru, he's, he's from Japan and he worked on the parser. And uh, Mikhail uh, from Poland uh, did all, put all the things together, did all the rules, and then they packaged it up and released the, the package, which is quite amazing because it's a lot of work and they did a really really good job on it um and then we have uh, guillaume he's from france and he worked on a big update for the view dev tools which is our uh, chrome extension for the debugging view apps mm-hmm. and um uh i worked on the initial version of it and i always had this you know this guilty feeling because it was quite a complex setup um and, and i felt like i always wanted to you know, write some documentation on how you can actually hack on this thing. But he figured out it all by himself and made all of those changes. Then, um, and then implemented some pretty amazing features, like you can edit the state you're inspecting, and it reflects back into your actual app. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he did all of those, and we released another uh, big version of Vue DevTools. Um, and we're seeing more and more of these uh, contributors just taking 
ownership of a piece of the view ecosystem. Uh, so I, I'm really happy about that because the biggest thing about view is that we are growing in scope as a framework, but uh, uh, it does it wouldn't be you know sustainable for the long term if it's only me. So I'm really happy seeing that you know more developers are able to just take ownership of a piece of the ecosystem. Right. Um, and <clears throat> and then uh, right. So that's um, that's the thing. So I want to also we are actually thinking about some really cool things like we want to get the team together and do a, like a hackathon like thing where we hack on some projects in a week and. Um, we also want to set up some more um, more resources, just helping people, like guiding them how to actually make meaningful contributions to to view as a project as a whole. So this is something we want to focus on. Just to um, this also kind of addresses a lot of you know the bus factor questions that we get all the right, time. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's something we are actively working on. Cool. Cool. Um, now, another interesting uh, thing that's going on lately is there's the new CLI. Uh, could you tell us a little mm -hmm. about that? Sure. Um, so the new the the new CLI uh, 3.0 just got into beta a few days ago, uh, and it's a completely rewrite. And it, uh, the biggest um, change is that it no longer it. So the the previous version was really just a simple tool that pulls down a template and renders it and scaffolds the project. But all the configurations, Webpack configurations are directly inside the project, uh, checked in, uh, which means you once you scaffold the project, it becomes really hard to sync it uh, for future updates because the, the configuration is not a dependency. So you, it cannot be version, it cannot be just upgraded. Um, so the new version, really, there's no longer a template, everything is, um, Abstracted inside a thing called View CI service, but we still expose ways, flexible ways for you to to configure the Webpack configurations if you want to. But by default, the configuration will be hidden, and you don't need to even worry about it if your use case is you know common. Mm -hmm. uh, so, if you don't want to worry about anything, you can just use the default configuration. It's it, it, then it becomes literally zero config, but. You can also opt into additional plugins for unit testing and to end testing TypeScript support. We have great TypeScript support now out of the box. Um, PWA support. Uh, you can also scaffold Vuex or router if you want to. Um, and you can even write your own plugin to extend functionalities of the ViewSound service, hmm. which is a dependency that's inside your project, which means it can be versioned and you can upgrade it when we when we put new features into it in the future. And you don't have to eject in order to just tweak the Webpack configuration because uh, we expose an API uh, to, to allow you to reach into it and make tweaks uh, where it makes sense. Um, so overall, we, we feel like we've, we've strike, uh, managed to strike a good balance between uh, flexibility and this sort of um, upgradability just we have a strong convention, but we also, you know, when you really need, you should be able to tweak it to your your desire. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's in beta right now, so you can try it out by doing npm install g at view slash cli. Awesome. Okay. You know, one interesting thing that came up when you were talking about jobs is, and I thought it would be interesting to ask you, do you know great mm -hmm. places people can go if they're interested in getting a job doing view, places they can go to find them? Yeah, so we have uh, viewjobs.com. I believe that is the um, URL. Yes, so uh, viewjobs.com. Um, see a lot of jobs being posted there. I think that would be that would be the main uh, place that I know of. Other than that, um, I think local meetups probably would have good opportunities if there is one in, in the area you're in. Because uh, I know there are more and more view meetups that I've seen them popping up all over the place. Right. So um, companies going there, sponsoring those events, most likely are looking for view developers. So um, that could be a good opportunity too. Cool, cool. Um, I'd like to f kind of wrap up with a sort of a, a fun question, which is, what are your mm -hmm. hopes for the future for view? My hopes. Um, so interestingly. Um, 
I think the the higher level vision to view is really um, to be a framework that helps more developers enjoy doing front end development, help them become more efficient to do their job in a more enjoyable fashion. Um, so that's an a quite abstract goal, but like really like everything that we are doing uh, is sort of driven by that. Um, we don't because Vue didn't really born wasn't really born out of the need of a specific company or a specific project. It was it started as my own uh, itch to create a framework that I would enjoy working with, and I think we we want to stick to that um, to stick to that goal. We want to keep uh, making the framework something that's enjoyable to work with, something that can can help more developers be more efficient with their job. Awesome. That's actually really cool. What a great answer. <laughs> Thanks. Well, um, we've we've been going here almost an hour, so we probably ought to wrap up. But we definitely mm -hmm. want to thank you for taking the time to come onto the podcast and talk to You're us. Uh, I'll go first with picks. I've just got um, one pick I want to make, which is the book Lynchpin by Seth Godin. It's a great book. It's a very easy read, and it's basically the core message is, uh, are you indispensable? That's like the sub the subtitle yeah. of the book is, are you indispensable? And I've been thinking a lot about this because uh, I think I've, I definitely have benefited a ton in my life and my career by doing everything I can to be excellent in the things that I do. And I obviously don't always mm -hmm. do them, but in the places where I have striven, I have Strove? What's the past tense of strive? <laughs> I have tried. <laughs> strive. Yeah, I have tried to be to do to be excellent and to make a big impact in the things that I've done, and I've, uh, in many cases, just benefited a ton because I was a, became a, a linchpin in whatever was going on at the time, and it's opened up tons and tons and tons of opportunities in my life, and put me in places where I don't get taken advantage of because people don't. Uh, people are grateful and uh, feel uh, a lot of get a lot of value out of the things that I'm able to provide for them. So that's my pick is the book Lynchpin and not just the book itself, but like living your life that way, which is be excellent at the things that you do so that uh, mm. your your products, your efforts, your work is uh, something that you are very proud of. Mm -hmm. That's okay. my pick. Yeah. Shara, how are, are you ready? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, so mine is an app. Um, it's called Bullet Journal, which I don't know if either of you are familiar with um, bullet journaling, but basically um, the idea is that you reflect over um, some idea or a goal that you have and then you take the time to write about why that's a goal of yours or why that quote is important or how it affects you. And just take some time to just like to yourself, think about, you know, reasons why um, you want to keep moving forward. And for me, um, I know that a lot of people are aware now um, of my mental health struggles and it really helps keep me um, away from any sort of triggers and keep on moving forward in my life. So this app, um, bullet journal, which I think it costs like three ninety nine or something like that. It's supposed to go with like the official bullet journal, mm -hmm. which I don't actually use. Um, I don't even actually write my stuff down every single day. Sometimes I just think about stuff. Um, but this app does give you reflections every day to think about. So it's mm -hmm. nice to have that nudge trigger. Um, so it, it gives me an alert and then it gives me a quote. Um, and I actually post a lot of the ones that really hit me hard, um, on Twitter. I take a screenshot of it and share it with other people so that they can have a moment to reflect on it. And it's just nice to, to find that space, um, in your day to just kind of like take a, take a step back and think about what's important, why you're doing the things you're doing. And it's kind of like what you were talking about, you know, like making sure that you're putting your foot best foot forward. I'm the kind of person that I tend to like get really excited about a lot of different hobbies and projects. And of course, as a result of that, I get really burnt out and overwhelmed and I don't finish any of them. And so I'm trying really hard to like 
make a list of the goals and I'll pick one and I'll say, okay, I really want to accomplish this. Why do I want to accomplish this? Why am I interested in this thing? And then actually do that thing. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Uh, Evan, how about you? Sure. So uh, I have uh, two picks. The first one is technical. Uh, so there is a great project called Code Sandbox. I don't know uh, if you've heard of it, but uh, it's an online play- playground that allows you to um, develop like a full project in um, a, a full project with uh, either React or Angular or Vue, and uh, it's it has amazing Vue support. So um, the author. Uh, Evis, uh, he he's he was speaking at VJS Amsterdam last week, and he was his talk was amazing. And CoSandbox is just really a cool project. There's a lot of little UX gems that's embedded into it, and it makes it a super uh, impressive online IDE almost. Uh, and, and he's still cranking a lot of new uh, innovative ideas into it. So um, if you want to quickly like prototype a view app. Uh, with single file view components, uh, you should definitely try it out because it's just amazing. Um, the other thing is, um, is something I just recently got into, uh, which is climbing. Um, I don't know if any of you do climbing. Uh, I wasn't uh, until just recently, but before that, I was just doing, uh, when I do workouts, I just do like normal workouts, just doing weights or just running. Uh, and I, w- I wasn't able to keep myself really motivated, but like I found climbing to be much more enjoyable because when you do, every time you do a different route, it's uh, like a whole different problem to solve. So it kind of makes the whole like moving and just like using all parts of body much more fun than normal workouts are. Uh, so, um, so I would uh, really like encourage like people who have never tried it to, to try it out. It's really fun. Hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I, there was one last thing I know that you wanted to mention. Maybe it could be like a, a, a an after pick is, uh, there's a view, uh, conference coming up, right? That's right. So we have a, uh, ViewConf us is the official ViewConf that's coming up in March, uh, 26 to 28th in New Orleans. Um, and uh, the ticket sales still open, and we have also have a bunch of great uh, workshops. Um, so, uh, one day of workshop and two days of content. If you want to, also there will be a lot of uh, companies using Vue there. So, if you want to meet people who use Vue or uh, potentially hire people or, or you know find job opportunities, it could be a great idea to attend. So, cool. And I'll I'll pitch in that there's another conference going to be coming up in October. Uh, the Framework Summit, which will fe- be featuring a lot of content about Vue. It's a con- conference focused entirely on front-end frameworks, of which Vue is one of the ones that's going to re- receive a lot of focus. So oh. you could check that out at frameworksummit.com. So a couple nice events coming up. Thanks very much, Evan, for being on the show. We really appreciate you spending the time again, and uh, it was great to talk to you. And thanks, great everybody, for listening. Thanks, Cher, for coming on. And, We will see you all again sometime soon. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.